I'm Jorge Salazar with the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Any truck operator knows that hydraulics do the heavy lifting. Water does the work because it's nearly incompressible at normal scales. But things behave strangely in nanotechnology, the control of materials at the scale of atoms and molecules. Using supercomputers, scientists found a surprising amount of water compression at the nanoscale. These findings could help advance medical diagnostics through creation of nanoscale systems that detect, identify, and sort biomolecules. The unexpected effect comes from the action of an electric field on water in very narrow pores and in very thin materials. That's according to research by Alexei Aksimentiev and James Wilson of the Department of Physics at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. They published their findings in Physical Review Letters, June of 2018. Aksimentiev and Wilson used supercomputer time awarded through EXCEED, the Extreme Science and Engineering Discovery Environment, funded by the National Science Foundation. EXCEED allocations allowed the researchers' use of the Stampede 1 and Stampede 2 systems at the Texas Advanced Computing Center and Blue Waters at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications. Alexei Aksimentiev joins us on the line to talk more about the study. Dr. Aksimentiev, welcome to the podcast. My pleasure. What are the main findings of your study on nanopores that was published in June of 2018 in the Physical Review Letters? The main thing is that we found a surprising effect that comes about from the action of electric field on water in very narrow pores in very thin material. So we found that uh, electric field uh, can compress water locally and that water compression would prevent molecules from being transported through small pores. This is very uh, counterintuitive effect because usually it is assumed that a higher electric field would propel molecules faster through the pore. But because electric field also compresses water, the outcome could be the opposite. That is, the higher electric field would not allow molecules to pass through. Could you give us maybe a little bit more context Sure. So we were, I mean, we've been working in the field of nanopore sequencing for some time already. And the goal of the field is to use nanotechnology to read the sequence of DNA, RNA, and proteins directly without using any kind of enzymes. So in this research area, graphene uh, is a material that has attracted lots of attention because of its high uh, mechanical stability, and also because it's only one atom thin. So we were set up to study the process of DNA transport through graphene pores. And um, in a typical um, measurement, uh, you would have a a graphene membrane with a single pore and DNA molecules in solution. So the first step towards reading uh, the DNA sequence is to get the DNA molecule to go through the pore. And that is usually done by applying electric field. So electric field would uh, extend from the nanopore uh, toward the solution. And because DNA is electrically charged, it would act on it, bringing it towards the pore. And so that process is called DNA capture. It's essential to sequencing because if you don't capture DNA molecule, you cannot sequence it, right? And that was the process that we set up to study. We wanted to quantify how frequently DNA gets captured by graphene pores, and we were looking for means to increase the capture. But surprisingly, we found that 
as we were increasing this yield to increase the rate of DNA capture, we found that it actually doesn't go through after a certain threshold voltage, which was a bit shocking. And we started looking for all possible uh, things that could go wrong with our simulation. So we checked everything and uh, convinced ourselves that this is indeed a, a real thing. It's physics speaking to us through all atom simulations. And then we had lots of control simulations where we measured the force on DNA molecule. We used different DNA construct. We varied the size of the pore, size of the membrane, uh, electrolyte solutions all kind of things, and uh, from these uh, measurements, we came up with this uh, idea that it is water compression that prevents DNA going through. So that was kind of an interesting physics phenomenon that came out from simulations. And then we thought, well, can we use it for something useful in principle, because now we have a, like a, uh, an extra force. Because usually in nanopore measurements, it's electric fields that drive DNA through, and then there is a, just a friction that resists DNA going through. But here we have a, like a third force, which maybe we can use for something useful. And that's how we come up with this idea that we would basically build a, a filter out of a nanopore, which would select only molecules that have a certain charge to pass through. Dr. Aksimentiev, is there a simple way to describe this situation? Is there like an analogy? Like I'm thinking like a, is this like a barcode reader or something? Well, there is an easy way to describe what's happening if we first do not take into account the effect that we discovered. So then it's kind of simple. It's the electric field uh, acts on DNA and it just pulls it through the pore. It's just like threading, uh, putting a, a, a thread through a, a needle's eye, and uh, electric field deforms in a way that it guides the DNA towards the needle eye, and then once the DNA is captured, it passes through it, just like tape in a tape recorder, and then the different nucleotides that are written in the DNA, they would interact with the pore and produce signals that we can record using uh, electric measurements. So it's kind of analogous to reading, um, like playing a tape in a tape recorder. Um, just there, instead of um, sounds, we have letters of the genetic alphabet, and we use currents to read out what they are. So that's how typical nanopore sequencing works. So what we found was that the medium uh, in which the DNA and nanopore resides, so the solvent or water, actually can play a role when we want to capture DNA at high speed. It is usually assumed that water is incompressible, but in uh, very thin pores, uh, very uh, thin membranes, the gradient of the electric field is such that it will compress the water. So it's kind of analogous to if you look at how pressure grows when you go to the depth of the ocean. You know, the deeper you go, the higher the pressure is. And in our case, the pressure changes locally very rapidly. So it's like there is a for that pushes it away from the DNA. It's, it's similar to the, uh, to the hydrostatic force that is in hydraulic elements. The difference is that the pressure varies very rapidly in our system because the, uh, the membrane is so thin. Would you speak to some of the computational challenges that you faced in studying the capture of DNA by nanopores in graphene membranes that, as you described, are just an atom thick? Yeah, so the problem is that we have to take into account the motion of every atom in our system. 
And that was really critically important for the discovery of the phenomena that we've done. So the system that we simulate, they typically comprise of 100,000 atoms. So where every atom of water molecule is described explicitly. So a water molecule has an oxygen and two hydrogens. That was essential because otherwise you would not be able to see the effects because we need to monitor the configuration of individual water molecules in the system. So that's so-called all-atom molecular dynamic simulations, which is computationally very demanding because we have to look at the motion of individual hydrogen atoms, meaning that we need to use very small time steps to update our simulations. It's like femtoseconds, so it's 10 to the minus 15 seconds. And we have to do it for a system of 100,000 atoms. If you multiply those two quantities, you end up with a very high number of iterations that we need to perform to obtain a reliable measurement of physical quantities. Specifically to the project that we report in these publications, the challenge was to actually determine forces. So the forces are fairly small. We're talking about pico and pico newtons, and there's lots of fluctuations. So specifically to Stampede 2, we were able to run many simulations in parallel. So it's not only that our individual simulation uses many cores of Stampede 2 at the same time, we also had to run so-called multi-copy simulations where many simulations are run at the same time. And that allowed us to measure the forces with the precision that allowed us to conclude about the nature of the physical phenomenon. Would you speak to the Exceed resources that you used? They provide all kinds of different things, hardware, software, and expertise in, in using the systems. Could you speak to Exceed and how they helped overcome some of these challenges that you faced in simulating these systems of 100,000 atoms um, in, this, in the water? Well, I would say that without Exceed, we would not be where we are with our project. Without Exceed, I actually don't see how we would be able to accomplish the work that we do. And it's not just this project and it's not just this system, but there are so many different systems that our group and other groups are investigating. What I like about Exceed in general is that it gives access to diverse systems. You know, every system is different, which sometimes is not such a good thing because we have to port our codes and things like that. But at the end of the day, there are certain problems that are better suited to certain computers. For example, some of the machines, they have fast GPUs, and that's extremely helpful for some projects. You know, some computers just have very fast cores and fast interconnect, which makes them exceptional for runs that involve many cores for big systems. So the Exceed portal itself is another benefit because in one portal I can see everything that happens uh, on all the machines. That makes it very easy to manage uh, allocations and jobs. Did this work that you just published um, in June, did it um, involve other supercomputer centers besides tech? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, because it was a multi-year uh, adventure, uh, I would say, because we started this project uh, about three years ago, and I think we used Tempid one at the beginning. We run system also a little bit on Blue Waters at UIC, but then there was a pause because we were shocked by the results and we were looking into possible explanations. And then uh, we formulated hypothesis and uh, went to test it 
and that's basically where we started using Stampede 2. Would you speak a little bit more to the larger context of, of how this research fits in to um, our understanding of the science of nanopores? It's interesting that, that you mentioned it. It goes beyond nanopores. So I presented this work recently at the conference, and uh, of course there are lots of questions, and people generally were surprised to learn about the effect, uh, although it makes sense. You know, after the discussion, it all makes sense. So usually water is considered to be incompressible. For all practical applications in biophysics in general, it's not just nanopore, but biophysics, Water is just this inert substance that sometimes acts to provide friction, dissolve ions. But here we show that water can actually be an active component. Uh, it can compress, and that compression can push molecules away from channels. So one possible consequence uh, beyond nanopore would be the physics of membrane channels. Those are biological systems that... Uh, gate transport in and out of the cells. We don't know yet, but it's possible that the same water compression effect could uh, happen in biological channels. We just are yet to explore it. How does this research, does it relate to ordinary people, um, to non-scientists? Eventually, the goal is to make a nanoscale system that would uh, detect biomolecules, identify them, uh, but also maybe to sort them. I can imagine a situation where we take a sample and we need to identify what are the variants of the same protein that are present in a cell. And those variants, they there are lots of proteins in our cells. And, um, but we don't have really that many genes for them. So what happens is the proteins, after they're made, they're modified. So once they're modified, so it's so-called post-translational modification, you know, there's no genetic code for it, but yet those modifications exist and they give proteins different function. So what our effect could potentially allow is to measure abundance of the different variants of proteins and uh, quantify their effect on the cell uh, function. Does it have to do with medical diagnostics or, or how does that... No, that's right. So that's one of the possible applications is medical diagnostics. So think about it, like so a protein by itself is a machine and it does certain functions. Now those modifications, it's like they fine tune the properties of the machine, like it can go faster or slower or it can interact with another machine. And that's a different level, that's on top of having a machine which is regulated by gene circuitry. But the actual um, post-translational modifications, they're level up, and it's quite difficult to quantify them experimentally. For several reasons, the modifications are very small. It's just a few atoms at the surface of a protein, and there are many kinds of them. So frequently you have multiple species that act. So they kind of do the same thing, but every variant is slightly different. And with our water compression gating, we might be able to separate them and quantify how many of each kind are in a cell. What's the next step for this research? Well, the next step for specifically for, for this work, we'd like to see if the effect also happens in biological channels. 
and uh, we'd like to uh, explore the sorting or separation angle of it. Uh, already in this paper, we show that for one protein, we were able to differentiate variants, and we'd like to apply it to more complex systems, and uh, also find conditions where the effect manifests at lower fields, which would expand its application to detection of uh, biomarkers. What's the most important thing you want people to know about using computation to study nanopores? Actually, one most, the most important thing is, and I'm truly convinced, is that simulations, highly accurate, precise simulations on big computers is a discovery tool. I think this angle sometimes is missing, but this work truly attributes to it because we set out to do something else. We discovered a new phenomena in nanopores, and we explain it through simulation. So there are so many discoveries to be made with computers, and that's why supercomputer research is worth funding. Dr. Aksibentia, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Sure. You're welcome. You've been listening to Alexei Aksibentiev of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.